Father, you are very, very good, and uh, it is your breath in our lungs, and so we want to surrender all our life to you. And Lord, we're weak, but you are strong. Uh, We have been sinful in our life, but you have washed that away. Lord, you call us your children, sons of God. We've been adopted into this family, given a new heart. And Lord, we want to live in that heart. We don't abide, Jesus, in your word uh, because you, you are the source of life. You are the well that we drink from. Lord, we have no hope outside of you. And Lord, we mess everything up when we do things in our own strength. And Lord, we want to renounce our own strength. We want to turn away from our own way of thinking and doing things. And Lord, we want to surrender to your way of doing things today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to finish up chapter 3 in Exodus today. And so we're going to be starting in uh, verse 16. Um, And it's called, God's plan, I'll take care of it. It reminds me, Harry, I took care of it. If you know what movie that is, tell me afterwards. Do you know? Harry, I took care of it with the bird, the head. Anyway. It's a funny, funny movie. <laughs> there was a middle-aged woman, and she had a heart attack, and she was taken to the hospital. And while she was on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. They call this a NDE in the biz of people dying, I guess. And, uh, and she asked God when she was up there, she said, is my time up? And God said, no, you have another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. Yes. Upon hearing this, the woman came back to life, was resuscitated, and she decided to stay in the hospital and have a facelift and liposuction and a tummy tuck. She even had someone change her hair color. And since she had so much more time to live, she she figured she might make the most of it, you know? So when she was released from the hospital, she was crossing the street on her way home and she was killed by a car. And then she arrived and Heaven was talking to the Lord, and she she demanded. She said, I thought I had another 43 years. Why didn't you pull me out of the path of that car? And God said, I just didn't recognize you. (laughs) 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 Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So who's doing the work? Who began the work? Jesus began the work. Where is the work being done? In you. And who's going to complete it? Jesus is going to complete it. That woman tried to complete stuff on her own. She tried to take things into her own hands, her life, and and it didn't go well for her. And we all laugh at her. But God, the way he has set things up is that he has a plan. And we're going to look at that plan today. And when we think of God's plans, I want you to have a little equal sign and then think promise. God's plans are promise. I plan all kinds of things that don't come to pass. Every year, Broncos Super Bowl celebration, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Rarely, but 
Just kidding. We, we make plans, but for us, making plans isn't sure, sure, sure. We have to, we don't know everything. We can't control everything, and so it's hard for us. But God, he makes plans, and you can basically equate them to promises. Okay? So God makes promises to us. He, he's, a, he's a promise-making God. He loves making promises because he delights in fulfilling promises because he really loves the look on our face when we see him come through, when we see him answer his own word and is faithful to his word. He loves that because he knows in our heart what's being developed is faith, trust. We're learning to trust him and walk with him daily. It's pretty exciting for the Lord. He loves developing that trust in us. So Philippians 1, 6, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we're back in Exodus now. And God has been speaking to Moses from what? A burning bush. Good job. You haven't even been here and you know. Well, Bible scholar over here. Oh, there you go. It just says it in There you go. Well, he has been speaking to God out of a burning bush, and we spent several weeks looking at what what God has been saying to Moses, and right now we're going to move into the the last part of this chapter, which is God still talking out of this bush. God's going to be explaining his plan, which we know is just like a promise, his plan to Moses of what's going to happen. So he says in verse 16, we pick it up and God says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me. So Moses, he is pretty shocked right now. God is speaking to him. God has revealed his name, which was what? I am. I am. I am what I am. I am that I am. I am anything you need. I am. And so we studied that in depth. And then God has already told Moses that I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. But he reinforces that here. And he says, you need to tell that to everybody you know, everyone that you're going to be in charge of ministering to. You need to help them understand who I am. We studied this a couple weeks ago that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. And the lesson we learned in that is that that speaks of the three parts of our Christian life, that God is the God who chooses us, so before the past, that he is the God who makes us alive, that is where we're born again. We come to know him just like Isaac was brought back from the dead. Abraham was chosen. Isaac was brought back. He was sacrificed, but... The Bible says he's figuratively brought back from the dead. So that's the big thing in his life. And then Jacob is the one God wrestled with and produced change in his life over time. And so you have the three parts of our life, the God choosing us, God making us alive, and then God changing us. That is him, uh, his pre-ordaining us, you could say, predestining us, you could say, and then his justifying us, making us alive, and then his sanctifying us or causing growth in our life. And that is, uh, we studied that pretty in depth, so we're going we're gonna to leave that uh, now just as, as that. It's just like the, the prequels, the original trilogy, and the new sequels. It works together in order. It's nice. 
So now he says, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, this is the first promise that Moses is to preach to the people of God. This is the first thing he's supposed to talk to them about. And it's basically saying that God will save them. That's his plan, is to save them fully, completely. That's his plan. It's his promise. And he is not going to fail. He, no matter what the situation is, no matter what powers of hell come against him, no matter what addictions the people have, no matter what they love or what they're into, no matter what weaknesses they have, he is going to succeed because God will not be stopped. God will deliver them. God will redeem them. That's the word that we said defines the whole book of Exodus. It's God is redeeming his people. And uh, uh, we've seen the outline of this book, and I just want to refresh your memory of what the outline of this book is. What chapter are we in? Three. And this is the middle chapter of the first section, which is chapters one through six, which is the people's need for redemption. And here we're going to see the people of God enslaved. And then from chapter 7 through 11, we're going to see the power of the Redeemer. And that's where we see the, the plagues on Egypt and all the wonders that God works for them. Then in chapters 12 through 18, we're going to see the way of redemption. We're going to see the blood of the Passover. And we're going to see Jesus foreshadowed as being the sacrifice for the people, the way of redemption. Then in chapters 19 through 24, we're going to see the different behavior of the redeemed. These are the laws that we're going to see. We're going to see them describing the behavior of the people who are redeemed. Remember 20, chapters 25 through 40, we're going to see when the redeemed fail. And this is when God is going to uh, t- give them the tabernacle and all the work that's done in the tabernacle that's going to help them when they fail to come back into relationship with him. But all that being said, we need to stop right here. Because you guys are Bible scholars. You're very smart with the Bible. And you guys know this story. And you know that out of the 600,000 men and a couple, maybe a couple million people that are alive among the Israelites right now, only two are actually going to make it to the promised land. Only two. And it's going to take 40 years for this to actually happen. So we have to ask this question, did God's promise fail? Did he not know what was going to happen? Why did this entire generation not make it except for two guys? Do you guys know who the two guys are? Joshua and Caleb. Right, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses doesn't make it, all right? Now, this, if you, when you really start to think about it, this, help, this causes you to worry a little bit. Like, wait a second, God said right here 
I am going to save them. And God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't lie. So why do we not see this as a reality in their lives? This starts to make me worried when I look at it. It starts to even bring something called fear into my life. Wait a second. Why didn't this happen? And to find the answer to this problem, we need to kind of back up. We need to look at the bigger picture and we need to be afraid. We need to be afraid. Luke said, I'm not afraid. Yoda said, good. You will be. You will be. (laughs) This promise was made to all the people of God. This promise that God made. God said, I'm going to save you. He made it to all the people of God, not just this generation. Okay, that's the first thing we look. But, But God highlights for us what is wrong with this generation when we fast forward into the book of Hebrews. So flip in your Bible over to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll we'll see something in there that's going to help us to understand why this happened the way it did. God highlights what's wrong with this generation. We're going to really dig into this as we study this book, as we get through the book of Exodus, because this is what we're going to be talking about. Them wandering around in the desert for 40 years, we're going to take a real in-depth look. And so we're introducing the idea today that we're going to be studying uh, for many weeks, looking at why this generation was not able to enter the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. And the answer is, and we're going to look at it, is that these people do not fully believe and trust in God's promises. Period. That is the answer. God still rescues them, but they are going to refuse to live by faith. And so they're not going to be able to enter the promised land. Faith. The faith is, is the big thing we talk about at church all the time. Well, we're going to keep talking about it because it's a pretty big deal. And faith is how we can see the promises of God become real in our lives also. So all of this entire book of Exodus is for you. It's written for you. God has these people specifically picked out. He had them born at this time and their failures are there as a lesson and instructional to you. Why don't I ever see God bring me into the victorious Christian life that I see in other people or that I hear about or that I read about in the books that I read? The answer is faith. Because the victorious Christian life is promised to you. Every single one of us has this promise. But faith is the key to unlocking the door. You and I, we're learning to walk and live by faith, learning what God's promises are, and learning to put our total reliance on each one of them, which you could say is learning how to rest in his promises. Learning how to rest in his promises. Now, I had you turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, uh, the author of Hebrews says, since a promise remains, 
of entering his rest, let us fear. The Bible doesn't tell us to fear very many things. Fear the Lord and fear this. Fear what? Fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. And the them he's talking about is guess who? It is these people that we're studying in Exodus, this generation of Israelites that left Egypt but then wandered around in the desert. And the author of Hebrews says the gospel was preached to them. The same promise that you and I got saved by, that God will take care of it, God will save you. We believe that. Now his name is Jesus. He personifies that promise for us. And he says the same promise was preached to them. But they didn't, it was preached to them as well. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So God, he, he still saves this generation out of Egypt. He's going to bring them out of Egypt, but they die before they see all the promise fulfilled in their life. They wander around in the desert, and Hebrew says, be afraid that that's you. And what does that look like? Oh, I prayed the prayer when I believed and heard about Jesus. I prayed the prayer, and I know that he washed my sins away, but ever since then, I have been just wandering. I have not truly entered into the full life God has for me. I don't even know what the full life looks like. But I keep going to my job. I keep my relationships the way that they are. I still fight with people. I still am selfish. I still live the life I want to live. That is wandering in the desert. It's not what God has for you. What does God have for you? A victorious life. A rest from your striving. That's what he says. There, there's a promise remains of entering his rest. He says, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short. He says, you guys need to go to church, study the word of God, but be afraid that there's certain people in your church that aren't entering in. Look, look for them. See, hey, brother, you seem like you're really stressed out right now. Sister, are you entering into the rest of the Lord? Well, no, I'm, I just, I can't, I can't trust him in this situation. I got this. And I don't believe him over here. We're called to come alongside that person and say, all that's missing in this situation is faith. Here's God's promise. What's missing is do you believe what he said. Do you believe what he said? So we emphasize teaching the word of God, but not just going through it, identifying what is the promise that God has made to you? What can you actually put your faith in so that you can succeed with the challenges that are in your life? Because all of you guys have really hard things going on. Each one of you, I could go and say, what's going on in your life that you need to trust the Lord in? Well, I got this, and I got this job, and I got this spouse, and I got this you know, sickness, and I got all these. We all have things. And so this applies to every single one of us. Are we going to believe God's promises? So this people of Egypt, they come, out, they, they come out in Egypt, these Israelites, but they die before they see it fulfilled. 
And we need to be afraid that that's going to be our story. He says, be afraid of that. It's a waste. It doesn't have to be that way. Because God will take all those people into the promised land that will believe his promises. How do we know? Because he took Caleb and Joshua. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. There is going to be a lot of tests of our faith, but we call those discipleship opportunities or a time when you can learn to trust the Lord more completely, more fully, with more surrender. That's what, how we look at our challenges now as we're trusting in the Lord. All right, let's continue in, in Exodus. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come and you and the elders of Israel and to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. I love that. So he's, he's saying this redemption is not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be impossible because the king of Egypt, he wants to hold on to you. He has claimed you as his own, right? Who's the king of Egypt? Pharaoh, not Ramses, actually. Uh, Pharaoh, it's a couple dynasties before, but that's cool. Um, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is a type of who as we study this book? Satan, right. And the people of Israel are a type or a picture of believers and Christians being rescued or saved or being uh, set free from the bondage of Satan. And so this king of Egypt, he, he claims them. He, we've already seen that he hates them. He wants to destroy them. And that's why he has been raised up. That's why God placed him there. Well, why? Why would God place such a difficult, big-headed obstacle in the way of the Israelites being saved? It's a good question. The answer is, he, God tells us right here. He says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. And after that, he'll let you go. The answer is, why is it such a difficult thing to get saved? Because God can receive the, the glory when he's the only one who can save. When his, and his wonders can be seen for what they are, which is miracles or works of God. Redemption alone can accomplish this. So God raises up a really stubborn guy. God saw Pharaoh when he was a child. God foreknew him, who he was. And God appointed him to be born in this family where he would eventually be the ruler over Egypt because he saw his heart and how difficult and how stubborn he was. God placed him there so that God could kick his butt and free his people, and nobody could say, oh, it's because we had a great plan that we were saved. Oh, it's because of our mighty hand that we were able to escape him. It was because of the IDF and our cool airplanes. No. <laughs> 
It was only by the hand of God. They were weak, they were enslaved, and they are learning that God wants the glory. Okay, so we have people that are just super difficult in our lives. We're like, oh, man, that person, I don't know if they'll ever get saved. I mean, they are just so blind, they're so evil, they're so wicked. What do we do? Man, we just call upon the Lord. And we pray that God opens their eyes and we keep praying and believe he will answer our prayers. And I've seen the most evil, wicked people get saved. In fact, half of them are in this room. (laughs) Amen. Now, if you were rescued by any other power than the grace of Jesus, I have news for you, and it's bad news. You were never rescued. You were only transferred from one prison to another. Let me put this in, in an example for you. Maybe you quit smoking weed by trying hard to do it, or by some accountability system, or by some 12-step program. You were a slave to the smoking weed. Now you're a slave to self-sufficiency, to trusting in a system or a plan that is not God. Only by praying and asking Jesus to save you from said sin does God receive glory. Okay? This is really important. You just transferred from one prison to another. It doesn't have the same wallpaper, but it's the same prison. It's still rebellion against what God has granted, which is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Well, I don't know if Jesus is going to answer my prayer. That's why you don't see answers. Because when you believe, he saves. That's how we get saved. I mean, we have to believe that he's going to wash us clean of our sin by his blood. Well, it works not just for your justification, but also for your sanctification. You're changing and walking Uh, becoming a more godly person. Self-sufficiency is the greatest rebellion in the church against God. When we trust in ourselves and rebellion against God's plan, his way, he has a way. He said, I will save you. And it's really easy. Call out to Jesus. Call out to him in faith and in humility, depending on him, and I will save you. That's his promise. Boom, done. You will see his wonders if you do that. But the church loves to come up with great plans. Well, we can have everybody stop drinking if we start this thing or do this thing, and we just neglect calling upon the Lord from a true heart. And it's, it's sad because only his grace can truly bring this victory that we're looking for. And then he says at the end of, in that part, we said, he says, and then after that, he will let you go. I love that. It's such a cool part. God is saying, uh, you know, after Jesus does his work, Satan has no ability to hold on to us anymore because we are truly free We are able to depend on God because all you need to depend on God is what? Weakness. You just have to acknowledge that you need him and then believe his promise that he'll be there. So every single one of you can rely and depend on God for everything. We never have to look to our own resources again. 
God says he will let you go if you'll believe my promises, my word. Now, serving God is a real thing. It's not just an idea. And what he's calling these people to do, he says, we need to go three days out and you need to serve me, right? That's what he said. Well, God says, you will be free to serve me when you trust me, when you depend on me. When we're in Egypt, we're building another man's kingdom, right? That's what these Israelites are doing. They're slaves. They're building the pyramids or the cities or whatever they're building. And they're basically just working on a kingdom that is built on rebellion against God. Whether they know it or not, they're just adding to the rebellion against God. And Satan, he has all of us enslaved, you know, before we come to know Jesus. And his kingdom is rebellion. That's what it's built on. That's its foundation. And all men have that kingdom in their heart. And only the wonderful power of Jesus can free us from that so that we can pray with an honest heart, your will be done and your kingdom come. That's what freedom is. We, we always sing about li- liberty and freedom in our songs. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're, we're singing these songs all the time. And I think a lot of people are like, I don't understand what I'm free from. You know, it's, it's kind of silly that Christians are always talking about freedom when they don't understand what they're free from. Well, you're freed to serve God instead of Satan. Well, I'm not serving Satan. I go to work at IBM. I just picked a company. I don't know. Does anyone in here work at IBM? Okay. I only know one guy, and he's the pastor up at Bertha. But um, <laughs> serving, I don't serve Satan. I just go to school. I don't serve Satan. I, you know what? If you're not serving God, you're rebelling against him. And rebellion is Satan's kingdom, so you are serving Satan if you're not fully serving God with your whole life. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize he wants total. Yeah, you have to actually leave Egypt. To, you have to go three days journey, he says. That's not just because it's one day, well, maybe I might go back if I have to go to the bathroom, I get a tummy ache. You know, well, two days, oh, it's a journey, but man, no, three days is like I'm committed. I am out of here. Okay, three days journey is a long ways to walk. I mean, we could walk to like, I mean, the worst, we could walk to Pueblo in three days. You know, just the worst, I don't know, but. (laughs) Rich cries every time I diss Pueblo. (laughs) I know, that's right. Maybe we can change it, right? (laughs) No, when we talk about freedom, it means that we're free to leave this kingdom of rebellion and join a new kingdom to serve. In the kingdom of rebellion, what are you doing? You're slaving all day for another man's kingdom. Satan, he wants to rebel. And, oh, I just thought I was working for IBM. No, you're working for Satan. Well, when we decide to serve the Lord when we want to come out, when he saves us, we go three days journey into the desert and you have to leave behind this other kingdom of rebellion. And what is the opposite of rebellion? Surrender and obedience. Yes. That's the opposite of rebellion. That's what he is freeing us to be able to do. Now, we can't do that ourselves. Can they just get up and walk out of Egypt right now? No, they can't. 
It takes a supernatural work of God in their heart. Oh, well, I got a friend out here, and he is, is obviously all up into rebellion, and he doesn't believe in the Lord. How do, what, what, do I, what does he need? You know what? You should just go to church and change your life. They can't do that. They need God to set them free. How does that happen? They need to be informed of his promises and given an opportunity to believe, and God will set them free so that they can leave that rebellion and be set free and go and serve the Lord. So awesome. Okay? God, he's teaching Moses how to evangelize to the people. It's easy. Well, you got to know God's promises. you got to believe in yourself. Then you can serve the Lord in this way. Question. Are we equipped to serve him? Look at what it says. And I will give this people favor. You know what the word favor can also be translated as? Grace. In the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of those who dwell in her, near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is so cool. So it's not cool because they're, they're plundering the Egyptians. Okay? Actually, we're going to find out a lot of the Egyptians go with them. The ones who decide that they want to believe in God's promises as well. They actually join with the congregation of Israel, become Israelites, and go with them. But check this out. God puts it and works it out so that the Israelites get paid for all their slavery. Okay? God works out giving them resources. Now, Hudson Taylor was a missionary. And if you haven't read his book, the, the Hudson, Ta- Hudson Taylor Spiritual Secret, you've got to read it. It's one of the best books out there about uh, the new covenant and God's grace. But Hudson Taylor said this. He said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. We don't ever pass the offering plate, do we? Now, I don't think that that's totally a wicked thing all the time, but I will never do it, ever, because God is not broke. Okay? And God's work is being done here. Now, I'm, I'm dumb, but God is using me and he's appointed me to teach the word of God. And so it's his work. And all of you are here only because he has drawn you. And so his work is being done. And if I can trust him and do it God's way by trusting in him only, I don't ever have to ask for money from you. Now God has taught us to ask him for the resources that we need. And guess what? God has never failed to provide for every bill we've ever had. And it has been crazy scary. But I've learned. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And even if I fail, he will provide. He will come through. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Hudson Taylor said that. It doesn't matter where it comes from. God will provide for his people, his church, and all that they need to serve him in his kingdom. See, this is a great picture. These, these, these Israelites are leaving Egypt, 
and God is providing them with the resources that they're going to need for everything that they're going to need. It's a wonderful picture of God's provision. Do you know that you have been set free to serve God? God will provide all that you need and much more richly by Jesus Christ. Uh, I want you to, to see 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And it's one of my favorite verses and one of the most important verses you'll ever read. And we talk about this verse multiple times. So memorize it, remember it, highlight it, whatever you need to do to make this a real part of your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It's right after 1 Corinthians. <laughs> I'm so helpful. So these Israelites, they're leaving Egypt, and God says, hey, I'm going to take care of it. You're going to need stuff on this journey, and guess what? I'm going to provide it for you. I'm going to work it out so even your enemies and the people who don't like you are actually going to just give you the stuff, but it's really who giving it to them? God, right? He's working it out. He's working out the resources and the provisions that they need. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Serving God is good works, right? We serve the Lord by doing good works. And God says, I take the responsibility of providing what you need to do good works. Well, I would go to church, but I really don't like the people. Oh, well, it sounds like you have a lack of a resource, and the resource that you need is love. And so if you would go to the Lord in humility and say, Lord, I don't love these people, and then trust him in faith and say, would you give me love for these people? what is the Lord's response going to be? He will give it to you. He will change your heart. I don't like my family. Wow, sounds like you need love. Well, you don't understand the, uh, the hardships that we have and the disagreements that we have. You don't understand how much they've hurt me. You're right, I don't. But I do understand the Lord's will and what is good. And I know that if you ask him, the Lord will give you what you need to do the right thing. The right thing. God will make, uh, we just got to read this verse again. And I'm going to emphasize a couple words. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Could Paul be any more clear of where we're supposed to go every morning, every afternoon, and every night for the resources that we need? To God. It's his gift towards us. It's what he promises to us. This is his plan. But I got to ask you, do you care? Do you care? Are you making your way out of Egypt to serve God, or are you perfectly happy just living in Egypt? Do you care? 
Every good work, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Good works, serving God outside of Egypt. But do we care? Do we realize that we're in prison? Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. What is all of Exodus about? Redemption. Redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That verse just talks about what Exodus does. He is redeeming his own special people who are going to be zealous for good works. He wants them to come out of Egypt to serve him, to serve him. Well, what are we supposed to be doing? What are good works? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, writing songs. Praying for the church. Praying for the lost. Praying for our families. Praying for our little ones. When was the last time you did any of those things? Giving to the food bank. Serving at church. Boldly sharing the hope of the gospel with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers. Encourage someone that's hurting. Teaching young people. Changing diapers. Good works. You guys are doing a lot of that right now. <laughs> Writing letters to people that are far away. Studying the word of God. Cleaning the church. Going on mission trips. Moving to another country to serve the Lord. Planning a church. Going to anchor groups. Sending a text to someone. Coming to church early to greet people and to pray with them or just to make sure the church is clean or the snow is plowed in the middle of summer. <laughs> Serving your boss with love and joy no matter how they act. Serving your spouse with love or joy, no matter how they act. Serving your kids with love and joy, no matter how they act. <laughs> Serving the elderly with love and joy. No. <laughs> All the things I've just mentioned can take place in God's kingdom. They're related to God's kingdom, not ours. Because you don't get famous for doing any of those things. You don't have, uh, it's not easy, it's not fun. You're sacrificing for the Lord. You, it's his kingdom that we're talking about, not ours. And it's the, it's, that's how we get when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus says we're supposed to pray like that each day. These things take place in God's kingdom. The only thing that gets in the way of these things is when we're too concerned about our kingdom. I don't want to go to church because I have something else to do. And it's you're missing out, honestly. Because God doesn't care about what you plan. He has brought people here to church that you are called to love and to serve. And when you're not here, do they get loved and served? Not as well as if you were here. I'm not very good at 
loving and serving everybody. I have a calling and I can do that calling in the Lord's power. But I'm not the most sensitive guy in the world. I, I, am, I don't have the gifts that you have. And God has given you those gifts for the church. And every day we miss going to church, we hurt the church. Period. There's probably supposed to be 50,000 more churches here in Denver, but for disobedience, there's not. And the way we want things to be is so self-centered. I want to do this today. I want to do that today. Well, God has his kingdom that he's concerned about. Why don't you line yourself up with his kingdom? Well, how do I do that? It takes prayer and abiding with Jesus for that heart change to happen over time. And I'm so happy to see the heart change that's happening in our church. Because I don't think any of us care about being famous. And I don't think we're worried about becoming great. I see a, a like-mindedness in us growing that we just want to serve the Lord. Whatever makes him happy, that's what we're going to do. We like building big monuments when we're in Egypt that people are impressed with for years to come. You know, every time I see one of those pyramids, I think, look at what the flesh can do. And that's, before we're serving the Lord, that's us. I want to be remembered. I want to be recognized. Look at what I can do. Where we go out in the desert, who sees what's done in the desert? Nobody. You're not famous. Like the, the, the what animals live in the desert? The scorpions see you, and they, they think you're cool maybe, but they just sting you, and it's like, ah. It's not a comfortable place to be. It takes denying self and taking up your cross and following Christ. God wants us to leave behind the Egypt stuff, the the self-kingdom, the rebellious kingdom, and come out and meet with him and serve him. Isn't that cool how we see that right here? It seems, yes, like a waste when you're interested in visible kingdoms and visible memorials, but if you're God's people and if you have God's heart, It's all you want is to meet with him and to hang out with him and to be with him. I'm asking you a question. Do you feel the pull to come out of Egypt? When you're walking around this world or you're watching TV or you're walking through the store, do you feel the pull that this is not for me? This is not what I am satisfied by. Do you feel the pull to leave behind worldly pursuits in in, in exchange for kingdom pursuits? If you feel that pull, I want you to know that is the Holy Spirit calling you out in freedom. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't feel that pull because you're not set free yet. You're still slaved to all the world has to offer. I got to work hard. I got to get my degree. I got to do this. I got to do that. God says, I'll set you free. I will set you free. If you feel that pull, God is calling you out to a more important and more deep life with him of serving. And whenever he calls you, 
He will equip you. And that's what we see at the end of this chapter. We see the Israelites are being equipped with the, the gold and the silver of the, of the Egyptians. He is a promise-making God. He loves making promises and he delights in fulfilling promises. And God has this plan. And the same way he laid it out for us here in Exodus chapter 3, he gives it to you and me today. He says, I'll take care of everything if you can fully trust me. Faith. Or you could say a synonymous sentence. You could say, my grace is sufficient for you. Or you could say another synonymous sentence. You could say it, blessed is the man who puts their hope in the Lord. You could say it all kinds of different ways. But it all is the same thing. You trust in the Lord and in his promises, and he does the rest. And what do you do the next day after you've trusted in the Lord for his promises yesterday? You wake up in the morning, you seek him, and you trust in his promises again. And then a new challenge comes. And then you go back to the word and you find, investigate what is the promise of God that relates to this challenge and then you put your hope in that promise. You don't try to fix any of these challenges on your own. Can you escape slavery on your own? Can you escape Egypt if you're an Israelite? Can you run away from Pharaoh and just be like, nanny, nanny, I can get away from you. No, you can't. It is only by trusting in his promises which is equivalent to his grace and power given to us in Jesus Christ. So that is our study for the day. We have finished chapter 3. We're going to be digging into chapter 4 next week. I couldn't be more excited for anything. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to close in a song. And uh, we don't have communion today, but we'll have that back next week, I'm sure. So again, uh, go ahead and close your eyes and as we approach the Lord again today. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for your word and your promises. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in here. And, and Lord, if you're specifically targeting certain hearts in here who have a, a tug and a pull to maybe turn away from something they know is selfish, Turn away from something they know is not your will. Turn away from something that is not building your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would do that work. I pray that we would have a, 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 a very sure calling in our hearts. I pray that your tug would be strong in our hearts, away from selfish things and self-kingdom and rebellion things. Lord, I pray that, God, you would help us to surrender to your kingdom, to give up on the things that we're building and instead look to you, call upon you and, and come out of Egypt to the desert to serve you. And Lord, yes, it is a desert. It is um, maybe not comfortable to always uh, be seeking you and, and giving up our desires for yours. But Lord God, the, the company is awesome. The joy of walking with you, Jesus Christ our Savior, is better than anything this world has to offer. And we love you because we are loved by you. 
God, I pray that we would throw down everything that is standing between you and us. Whether we have done something wrong and we need to confess it, or whether we have just been focused on the wrong things and we need to turn our eyes away, Lord, I pray you'd give us the strength and the heart and the pulling from your spirit and the equipping to do those things. We want to be set free, just like you promised to do. So Jesus, we we surrender all to you. I thank you, Lord, that you came down from heaven, you became a man, you died on the cross for our sins, and you have fully taken care and provided for our sin problem. And if we would look to you and believe what you did and accept your free gift, Lord, that we'll be saved. And I pray if anyone in here uh, has never understood that or never believed it or never embraced it, I pray that today you would make that decision to call upon the Lord. Lord, save me. I accept Jesus that I'm a sinner. You weren't, but you died as my substitute on the cross. That's what I deserve. But you took it for me. And we know, Lord, that that is the beginning of life. That is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and every good thing begins with that. So, Lord, we pray that you would Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come upon us. Lord, we need you. We need you to fill our, uh, our pantry with food for this, this community. We need you to provide for our needs. More than anything, we need to sit in your presence and start to learn of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing with joy to the Lord.